did you hear about or read about the, I believe, I want to say West Virginia, like, prison guard cadets that all just got, I don't know, expelled, I guess is the word, from their class for doing the suit tile? Like, prison guard cadets? Yes. That's what, what does that called. mean? Like they're in training to become prisoners. Uh, or like at a, some peace officer training standards. Yeah. Peace officer standards and training yeah. class. I did not. So I'm guessing no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, now you know. Yeah. Apparently, so I guess it was like a graduating class. Uh-huh. And they all did the C-Kyle, which is arms straight up, yeah. your hand in the air. And they there was text above it that said, Hail Bird. Which apparently Bird is there was one of their like training instructors. Instructors, uh-huh. yeah. So they all got expelled. Huh. The entire class got taxpayer dollars. So you don't think they should have been expelled? No. Oh. I'm saying it's a good thing, but I'm yeah. saying they should have to pay that money back. Oh, spend yeah. Them in their training. For sure. For sure. Okay. So I feel like it's probably like a like a pre questionnaire, you know, like a pre course questionnaire. Yeah, like, maybe it's not as so specific as like. Are you a white supremacist? <laughs> yeah, right, but maybe it should be. Maybe. <laughs> Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy Rausch. And this is a weekly American history podcast where we dive into all of the bizarre stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. So gorgeous. But so weird. <laughs> Fritz Julius Kuhn. I think that's how you say it. He's very German. There's a lot of German names in here and German words. So mm-hmm. get ready for me too. Yeah. Butcher a whole bunch of German. Sounds great. <laughs> Fritz, Fritz Julius Kuhn was born in Munich, Germany on May 5th, 1896 to parents George Kuhn and Julia Justina Booth. During World War One, Fritz Kuhn joined the Bavarian Infantry and earned an Iron Cross as a German infantry lieutenant for exceptional leadership in the face of the enemy. After the end of World War One. Kuhn enrolled and then graduated from the Technical University of Munich with a master's degree in chemical engineering. Fritz Kuhn also became one of Adolf Hitler's early followers and supporters of Nazi rhetoric. Shortly after graduating, Kuhn moved to Mexico to work as a chemist. In 1920, I don't know what kind of chemist jobs were in Mexico in the... 1920s. Probably some sort of production. Yeah, I'm assuming so. I mean, it so. might even be weapon production, too. Maybe. But after a few years in Mexico, in 1928, Kuhn moved to Detroit to work at the Ford factory, and then he became a naturalized citizen of the United States in 1934. Kuhn was then fired from Ford for his anti-Semitic rhetoric. Well... I didn't know this, but thanks to some of our friends, I didn't realize how much of a anti-Semitic person Henry Ford was. Yes, very. And so you can only imagine what this Kuhn guy was saying to be fired from Ford. Ford, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, because like Henry the, Ford was like, super anti-Semitic. Yeah, that's the Ford. But I know that after he uh, closed down his publication shop, um, he became 
he realized, like, he, he kind of understood the error of his ways towards the end. Okay. Maybe it probably wasn't in the 30s. Yeah. But, uh, the timeline's escaping me now. Yeah, but, so, I don't know what he was saying about Jewish people, but apparently it was bad. Yeah. Especially in the 30s. Well, I feel I'm like sure. you could get away with a lot of things in the 30s. Well, and the other thing to think about, though, too, is, like, okay, so Henry Ford, he might have been a, an extremist or... But he's the boss, so... But he's the boss. Yeah. And, like, I'm pretty sure Coon didn't work for him. Right. You know, this Coon's probably got a couple layers of separation, and I'm sure his managers are like, you're making... You're making a lot of people in the factory really uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, <laughs> can, yeah. You, can you tone it down a little bit? Yeah. And then we're like, all right, this guy's got to go. This is not working. He's, he's bad for business. Yeah. So around this same time, political parties that held similar beliefs to the Nazi party in Germany began to pop up in countries all over the world. Adolf Hitler and the German deputy Fuhrer Rudolf Hess hoped to use these political parties to convince more countries, especially European countries, to join the Greater Right. Friends of New Germany was founded in 1933 in Chicago with Rudolf Hess's blessing. Fritz Kuhn joined the Friends of New Germany and quickly became an officer within the group. Friends of New Germany absorbed two other Nazi-leading parties in America, the Free Society of Teutonia and Gao USA. The new group based its headquarters in New York City. Huh. Male members of the Friends of New Germany wore a white shirt and black trousers with a black hat that donned a red symbol, while the women members wore a white blouse and a black skirt. The group was led by German immigrant and German National Socialist German Workers' Party. It's a really long name <laughs> for a political party. How many times party. did you say German? Twice. German <laughs> National Socialist German Workers' Party. <laughs> So that guy's name was Heinz Spanknobel. Spanknobel had the members of his... Spanknobel? Spanknobel? I don't know. Anyways, he had the members of his party storm into the German-language newspaper, New Yorker Staatszeitung. Wait, Okay, so it's the New Yorker Staatszeitung, the German-language newspaper based in uh, New York. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah and demand that they publish articles sympathetic to the Nazi party. Spanknobel? I'm just going to say it as many ways as I can think, and hopefully one of those ways is right. <laughs> That's convincing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Luckily, he doesn't last in this story long. <laughs> he also instructed his members to infiltrate non-political German-American organizations in order to gain more members for the Friends of New Germany. Congressman Samuel Dickstein... A Democrat from New York started to become aware of the growing anti-Semitism feelings taking hold in the country. Dick Stein launched, a independent, launched an independent investigation into the German National Socialist Group, along with other fascist groups that had connections in the United States. This investigation led to the creation of the Special Committee on Un-American Activities authorized to investigate National Socialist propaganda and certain other propaganda activities. So what people is that? in the, the 30s love their long names. So it starts all so the way up here. Yeah, I'm trying to see, because usually, yeah. you know, like, lots of the Patriot Act, they all have, like, like Patriot is uh, an acronym. Oh, so it's S-C-U-A-A-A-A. Well, I don't know if that's, but S-C-U-A-A-A. I-N-S-P-C-O-P-A. Is that a word? 
Were you paying attention? I don't attention? think so. I don't you think so. you were writing that down? It's probably German words. Skainunkluck. It's not a word. Here. Let me see. I see it. Skwain. Oh, you moved it. Skwain. Copa. Ah, yes, that word. (laughs) So that committee conducted hearings where major leaders of fascist groups in the United States were brought forward to testify. During this time, Spanknobel... Wait, one more way. During this time, Spanknobel was deported... No, he's German. (laughs) I don't have a good German accent, though. Everything ends up Dutch. Well, now you say Spanknobel that way. Okay, well that there you go. That's Austrian. I'm pretty sure that sounded definitely Schwarzenegger-ish. <laughs> what can I say? So during this time, that guy was deported for Spank Nobel was deported for failing to register it as a foreign agent, which means he failed to disclose his relationship with a foreign government. Ah, uh, yes. The committee determined that the Friends of New Germany was a fascist group with ties to Hitler's Nazi Party in Germany. Hitler was hoping to maintain a good relationship with America at this time, and it became apparent that Friends of New Germany were making that hard to do. In 1935, Rudolf Hess ordered all German citizens to resign from Friends of New Germany and called for the top leaders of the group to return to Germany, thus ending the group. Fritz Kuhn saw this as an opportunity to create his own political party, but more deeply rooted in American patriotism. In 1936, Kuhn established the German-American Bund in Buffalo, New York, and he was elected as the leader. Kuhn had a strong vision for the Bund and hoped to create a swastika nation. Hmm. Kuhn took Nazi phrases and symbols but put an American spin on them, even proudly calling George Washington the first American fascist. Kuhn gave himself the title of Bundesführer and had his own group of guards named the Ordnungsdienst, or the OD, which were modeled closely after Hitler's own SS. The OD were not allowed to carry firearms, so they carried blackjacks and truncheons instead. Truncheon. I'm trying to remember. I looked up what it was. Now I don't remember what that weapon was. Like a club. (laughs) German name for a billy club. Yeah. So the OD's job was to protect Kuhn from harm and to beat back any protesters that arrived at Bundebecks. He would tell his followers that he was Hitler's confidant and had the support of the German Foreign Office. They just supported him secretly because of the whole German-United States relations thing. Hitler did not approve of uh, Kuhn or his bun. He didn't really know about it for a while. And How bad is not, it? But Hitler doesn't like what? want to be a part of your thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, he's got ulterior motives, but uh, I mean, that's still pretty bad. Yeah, and so... When he realizes the fragility... Yeah, and so I guess I didn't explain this, if it's confusing why Hitler wanted to stay friends with America. Not even friends, just not enemies. Yeah. Because World War II hasn't started yet, but he has plans to invade. And he just doesn't want America joining, being an enemy. He wants America to stay out of it. So as long as we don't make... Or as long as Hitler doesn't make America mad. Yeah. As long as we have, as long as our relations are neutral, right, then we can't pick a side, right, until we do. So that's why Hitler didn't want these like fascist groups, Nazi political parties in America to gain traction, 
Because he knew how crafty. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. The Bund was divided into different districts for different parts of the country, just like the Nazi party in Germany. They also had their own propaganda department that would publish a Bund newspaper, as well as printing copies of Mein Kampf, which was required reading for Bund members. Kuhn ordered the creation of gated training and summer camps in rural areas of the northeastern United States. The Bund purchased 42 acres in Yapank, New York, and Kuhn named it Camp Siegfried, and then named footpaths in the camp Hitler, Goring, and Goebel Street. Mm. Restaurants and housing were quickly built in the camp to feed and house Bund members wanting to stay at the camp. Vendors and suppliers that wanted to do business at Camp Siegfried had to pay a 10% surcharge to the Bund. The camp also sold Nazi paraphernalia, newspapers, flags, and photos of Nazi leaders to make even more money for the Bund. There was also a youth section set up at the camp where members of the Bund could send their children for $5 a week, and the children would receive training in military arts, Nazi principles, and German army marching songs. <laughs> it's like uh, JROTC. I was gonna it's say like, I was gonna say like Hitler's youth in yeah, Germany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But JROTC, okay. <laughs> sure. I didn't do JROTC, so I, was, I don't I'm know. I'm kinda worried about everybody yeah. at JROTC now. No, I mean On opening day of the camp, August thirtieth, nineteen thirty six, a large banner was hung that read America Verflichter, Deutschland der Nundens or Obligated to America, tied to Germany. A group of OD wearing brown shorts, tan shirts, belts that said blood and air, or which means blood and honor, and swastika armbands performed drills using wooden staffs while a brass band played. There were three other camps also created by the Bund. Camp Nordland in New Jersey, Camp Deutschschwartz in Pennsylvania, and Camp Hindenburg in Wisconsin. By 1938, two years after the creation of the German-American Bund, the party and Kuhn were becoming a force to be reckoned with. The Bund would have several thousand people show up to each meeting, and Kuhn was the most popular ultra-right leader and anti-Semite in the United States. Kuhn would draw big crowds for his speeches, where he would copy Hitler's mannerisms. He would, like, do the same arm or hand gestures with Hitler. Mm-hmm. He would go off on these super long speeches tirades. and tirades like Hitler would do. He basically was trying to make himself American, American Hitler. Hitler. Kuhn would speak... Is that a Netflix show? American Hitler? Yeah. I don't know. That would be a good title for something. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, if you're interested in Netflix, hit me up. Yeah. <laughs> we got an idea for you. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, that's a bad idea. Yeah. Kuhn would speak about... Crit- I mean, it could be a great show. If you handle it correctly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, obviously you don't want him to win. Right. So sorry for giving away the ending. <laughs> before we even started casting. <laughs> Kuhn would speak about creating an Aryan paradise in America and a Vertag, which was the day when German-Americans would rise up to take their rightful place and the streets would run red with blood after the United States had been purged of Jews and communists. Wow. On November 9th to November 10th, 1938, Nazis in Germany set fire to and destroyed synagogues, Jewish homes, schools, and businesses, and killed close to 100 Jews. 
That night became known as Crystal Night, or the Night of Broken Glass. Shortly after, around 30,000 Jewish men were arrested and sent to concentration camps. Kuhn and the Bund claimed that Kristallnacht, and I'm sorry if I don't say that right, like I said I'm bad at German words, was a justifiable act of retribution. Many Americans were horrified by this, and hostilities grew towards Hitler, Nazi Germany, and the German-American Bund. Instead of Hitler being seen as just some kind of crazy politician that goes on these tirades, People are starting to realize that he has a following and he is a terrible and he's doing monstrous. yeah wow. things are happening. Yeah. Uh, instead of issuing an apology to try to win American support back, Kuhn decided to lean in. It was announced that the German American Bund would host a rally to celebrate the rise of Nazism at New York City's Madison Square Garden. Kuhn planned the rally for February twentieth, nineteen thirty nine. George, George Washington's, Washington's birthday. George Washington's 27th birthday. Yeah. I only know that because my share of birthday month was George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. In Arnie Bernstein's book, Swastika Nation, he describes the event as Kuhn's shining moment, an elaborate pageant and vivid showcase of all he had built in three years. Kuhn's dream of the Swastika Nation would be on display for the whole world right in the heart of what the Berlin press called the Semitized Metropolis of New York. Yeah, this isn't good. No. The official poster for the rally was a swastika emblem and the words True Americanism and George Washington Birthday Exercises. What? What? 16 ounce girls? Doesn't include 16 ounce girls. What? Birthday exercises? Oh, you're talking about drinking beer. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, this is not. This, <laughs> the foreshadowing is. It doesn't seem good, does it? No, that seems terrible. New York City Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia knew that there would be a large group of demonstrators protesting the rally, so he worked with police commissioner Louis Valentine to plan for security at the garden. LaGuardia was an Episcopalian whose mother was a Jew, and he hated Kuhn and the Bund and everything they stood for, but he wanted to allow the Bund to exercise their right of free speech, just like any other American group. Rochette's always like, I get it. You know, that's how I feel, too. It's like, okay, yes, you have the right, and and absolutely you can exercise that right. But as soon as it becomes more than free speech, like... If you're inciting terrorism, yeah. if you're inciting violence... Yeah, yeah, that's like... Yeah, um, if you're calling for people to hurt other people... Yeah, the, 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 the mass... Uh, not extinction. But yeah, word. extermination yeah, mass of a extermination people. Of people. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, because that's infringement. Yes. It's terrible. On February 20th, 1939, 22,000 Bund members and Nazi sympathizers filled Madison Square Garden, while 100,000 protesters filled the streets surrounding the building. Well, that would have been really awkward party to get into. <laughs> It is nice to see that there That's was like the, almost you know five what? times as many protesters to how many people showed up. But 22,000 people showing up for this rally is a lot. Can I tell you what that reminds me of? Yeah. So you remember uh, two years ago, three years ago, when we went to Detroit for the, uh, for the Packers Week game? 17 Detroit Lions Packers Yes, team. I do remember that. And we were in Detroit as Packers. Yes. And, and there was, was 100,000 Detroit Lions fans outside of the stadium. And you're wearing your and, cheese head. And I was wearing my cheese head. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I felt. 
Not that I'm sympathizing with them, but yeah. I mean that's just We're not we're not saying that Jeremy's a Nazi. <laughs> Quite the opposite. But Yeah. And we I just imagine like that same scenario, like the fear, like, oh, maybe I'm not maybe I shouldn't have be doing this right now. So anyways. So the protesters carried signs with some reading, Give me a gas mask, I can't stand the smell of Nazis and smash anti Semitism. 1,700 policemen, including many police officers mounted on horses, stayed between the Nazis and the protesters, keeping them apart. I can't even imagine how. Like, I just uh, I just envisioned, you You know, we stayed in the flower district, like, just around the corner from Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Like, all of those streets had to be absolutely packed they, with people. They were. Like, like, I don't even know how you keep 1,700 well, yeah, I mean, obviously, a lot of people respect and give them space for the most part. Right. Well, a lot of them were on horses, too. Yeah. That's... So, it was the largest police presence in New York City's history. Commissioner Valentine said of the police force, We have enough police here to stop a revolution. Inside of the garden, there was a 30-foot-tall banner of George Washington hung between American flags and swastikas. There were also banners that read, Stop Jewish Domination of Christian Americans, and Wake Up America, Smash Jewish Communism. Attendees wore Nazi armbands and waved American flags. Drums began to roll, and young German-American Nazis marched down the aisles while holding flags that, re- that represented the United States, the Bund, Nazi Germany, and Italy. Hmm. All members of the Bund stood up and recited the Pledge of Allegiance. You can watch footage of the rally in a short documentary titled A Night at the Garden, which I'm actually going to pause recording right now so that Jeremy can watch it, and then he can give his perception of the documentary, and then we'll be right back. I like this. It's like a, what's that game we played with your family at Christmas? Seen it? Stomachs are knots. I feel sick. Yeah. And uh, it's just yeah, you look at the the video, and they are they are basically trying to justify it as a patriotic. Yeah, I think that's what makes me. I've seen it probably about five times now. Trying to take notes for this episode, and I think that's the part that hit. The hardest was that it's a huge portrait of George Washington. Massive. Massive, thirty feet tall, behind the stage, behind the podium. So you're everybody's looking at George Washington the whole time. There's American flags. They say the Pledge of Allegiance. They sing the national anthem, all while doing the Sig Heil, and there's also swastikas everywhere. There was a pro. There was a, I guess, an infiltrator, a protester of sorts, who, who ran out on stage while uh, Coon was giving a speech. Yep. And he was like immediately just rushed, and I don't even remember, I don't even know what he was doing. They like, if he was going up to yell at Coon or what, but he was like rushed. Yeah. By seven or eight initially. OD, mm-hmm. and 
beaten up and they were like stripping him. And yeah. And so, more people were rushing, or more other people were rushing towards him. And then finally the New York police came in, or they were already in there and, and detained him. Yeah, I think so. they were already in the garden and then they. As an intern, internal. Mm hmm. Yeah. So. Secure, internal security. Do you remember when we watched The Man in the High Castle? I think we only got through the first season. No. It's it's the that one show on Hulu. No, I know it's yeah. I know it's Shakespeare, but I so, remember none of it. Okay, fair. But it's uh for those that haven't watched it, it's a show that basically imagines what America would be like if Hitler, if Germany and Japan had won World War Two. And the video of A Night at the Garden basically reminded me of that. Like, yeah. what America would be yeah. if Hitler had won. We had let fascist parties take over our country at that time. Yeah. So, one thing that we both noticed that you brought up, that this is kind of a tangent, but one thing you brought up and one thing I noticed when I watched the video was that when they say the Pledge of Allegiance, they don't say under mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. So, so is that significant? So, no, it's actually not. I was surprised. <laughs> yeah. So I looked into it, and I learned that the words, uh, I learned that the words, under God, were added to the Pledge of Allegiance until 1954. Uh, so they part just, of the Cold War. Yeah, so, yeah, Dwight D. Eisenhower wanted that added, because I believe it's a socialist that wrote the Pledge of Allegiance, yeah. and they were trying everything with so, you know, anti-communism, that he wanted those words added yeah so nothing to do just a tangent just (laughs) something interesting yeah learned a different piece of history yes that what we watched in the video after they say the pledge of allegiance then various bund officers go on stage to give speeches that reminisced of the good old days of george washington before america was taken over by racial amalgamation Gerhard Wilhelm Kunz, who was the National Public Relations Director of the Bund, spoke how America's forefathers were white supremacists, and, quote, the spirit which opened the West and built our country is the spirit of the militant white man, end quote. Then the Bundsführer, Fritz Kuhn, made his way onto the stage to deliver the big speech of the night. He started his speech with, you all have heard of me, to the Jewish-controlled press. Wake up, you Aryan, Nordic, and Christians to demand that our government be returned to the people who founded it. Kuhn described the, quote, slimy conspirators who would change this glorious republic into the inferno of a Bolshevik paradise, and the grip of the palsied hand of communism in our schools, our universities, our very homes. Every time that Kuhn would pause during his speech, the crowd would yell, Free America! in unison while giving the raised arm salute. Outside of the garden, protesters shouted anti-Nazi slogans and tried to rush past the police to get inside. A group of Jewish-American veterans carried an American flag down Ninth Avenue. When they approached Madison Square Garden, the policemen on horses rode towards the veterans and drove them off the sidewalk back into the street so that they couldn't get close to the garden. An African-American man protesting the rally was grabbed by a mounted policeman so the man punched the police officer's horse in the face in order to get free. Fights broke out between the demonstrators, bud members, and police officers. Inside, Kuhn kept going on how the leaders of America were Jewish agents. He gave, he gave nicknames to some of them. President Franklin D. Roosevelt, 
who had called Nazism a cancer, Kuhn nicknamed Frank D. Rosenfeld. Just, what's he, huh? What's significant about that? He just made it sound Jewish. Wow. Because he's saying that America's leaders are Jewish agents. Gotcha. You know, they don't have Jewish names, but they are Jewish. Yeah. They're tricking you. Yeah. Kind of thing. I've seen that. I've, yeah, I've seen him in the propaganda. Yeah. Before, so it's, yeah. yeah. I get it now. Uh, he nicknamed District Attorney Thomas Dewey, Thomas Dewey, and Mary LaGuardia was called Jew Lumpen LaGuardia. Kuhn told the rally if you. What? What? Oh, Mayor. Yeah. Jew Lumpen. Yeah. Kuhn told the rally, if you ask what we are actively fighting for under our charter, first, a socially just, white, Gentile-ruled United States. Second, Gentile-controlled labor unions, free from Jewish Moscow-directed domination. So, okay, I did have a question about that, because you sure. read that in the, in the, during the field. Uh, okay, first of all, I'm going to reiterate, like, that is... It's just hair raising. I definitely recommend it. It's on PBS currently. Uh, if you just a night at the garden, right? So you, and then also you said that they have a website. So the documentary is free to watch. You can watch it on through PBS's website, like Jeremy said, or literally just Google a night at the garden, and there's a website for the documentary. It was nominated for several Academy Awards. Go to the website. It's seven minutes. 30 seconds long, and it's just short clips of the actual rally, and I... Protesters and yeah, police if, officers. If you are at your desk at work or at home or, you know, somewhere where you can, I would recommend actually just pausing this podcast right now and going and watching it. If you're driving, wait till you are parked. Somewhere you can, yeah. Yeah, and go watch it, but I think it's something that everybody should watch. Absolutely. Kuhn is going on, on and on, in his speech. All of a sudden, a protester rushed onto the stage and tried to tackle Kuhn. That's, That's what he was doing. That's what you were talking about. I didn't realize he was trying to tackle him. Yeah, he just didn't make it very close to him. Yeah. Then, not, not really. I mean... No. I mean, he maybe, made it on stage, but he was probably still, like, 10 feet away, yeah, maybe. 15, 15, 15. Yeah. I mean, imagine there's 22,000 people. There's probably another... 30 or 40, uh, OD, and what was the youth called? Uh, I don't know what they were called, but just youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah young. Bun yeah. youth. Yeah, bun youth. Instead of tackling Kuhn, he was tackled by OD. And he yanked on Kuhn's microphone cables and yelled, Down with Hitler! Kuhn's OD officers and police officers grabbed the man, and the OD began to punch and kick him. Police then got the man, held him over their heads to carry him out of the garden, while the OD tore his pants off his body. A reporter overheard two Bud members discussing the protester being taken away. One member said, It was worth 40 cents just to see the cops beat that fellow on the stage. The other replied, Yes, but all this is just practice for what's coming. And if you watch the documentary, once they, like, when they're beating him up and once they drag him off, the whole crowd just cheers yeah. and goes nuts for a little bit. Yeah. The protester was later identified as Jewish American Isidore Greenbaum and was fined $25 for disorderly conduct. When the United States entered World War II, Greenbaum enlisted in the Navy to fight the Nazis. Kuhn continued his speech after Greenbaum was taken outside. 
Three hours after the rally had started, it was finally over, and the Bud members made their way home from the garden. Like, it was no big deal. Everybody that just goes home. <laughs> At the time of the rally... So this is, I mean, was there like, this is 22,000 New Yorkers. Uh, I don't think they were all from New York, but at least a lot of them were. Um, a lot of them were, yeah, from the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. So at the time of the rally, Adolf Hitler was finishing construction on his sixth concentration camp. Kuhn saw the rally as a successful showing of how powerful the Nazi party was in America. Mary LaGuardia was also proud of how the rally went because none of the violence got too out of hand. However, LaGuardia and District Attorney General Thomas Dewey decided that it was time to take Kuhn down and organize an investigation into Kuhn's finances. So you remember Kuhn when you're giving everybody nicknames? Yeah. <laughs> you messed with the wrong people. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Apparently, Kuhn really likes Especially to... when there was 100,000 protesters to your 22,000... Yeah. Party members. Yeah. Like, that. those just aren't good numbers. Apparently, Kuhn really... The reverse of good numbers. <laughs> like, written tactically by that. It's just dumb. So, apparently, Kuhn really liked to party, and he was also supporting several mistresses, all at the expense of the Bund. The investigation revealed that Kuhn had embezzled around $14,000 from the Bund. Even after learning this, the Bund organization didn't want to press charges against Kuhn because of fear of Prinzip, or the belief that the leader can do whatever he wants because he's the leader. Thomas Dewey received a blessing... What is that called? Oh, God. <laughs> fear of Prinzip. Fear of Prinzip. I need to implement the film of that. Thomas Dewey received a blessing from President Franklin D. Roosevelt to prosecute Kuhn anyways. Nice. So these... Three guys, all that got nicknames from Kuhn during his speech, are all like, okay, we're going to take him down. Yeah. He, he, he got his speech, he was able to have his, five minutes, his five minutes of fame, and now he's done. We don't say 15 minutes, but we have to pay for especially <laughs> use of that phrase. <laughs> five minutes. On September 1st, 1939, Germany invaded Poland, which led to Britain and France declaring war on Germany thus starting World War II. On December 5th, 1939, Kuhn was sentenced to two and a half to five years of jail for tax evasion and was sent to Sing Sing Prison in New York. Kuhn tried to make the case that he was a prisoner of war, but they were of no use, and the Bund quickly disbanded with their leader behind bars. Hmm. It's amazing how quickly 25,000 people all of a sudden not give a rat's behind. Yeah. At its peak, Bund membership had reached 25,000. But most ex-members were embarrassed that they had ever joined after it disbanded. Good. Be very embarrassed. Be very ashamed of yourself. While Kuhn was locked up in Sing Sing, Germany declared war on the United States on December 11, 1941. Because Kuhn supported Germany, which was now actively hostile towards the United States, the federal government was able to revoke Kuhn's citizenship on June 1st, 1943. It still took him two years. And yeah, a lot of paperwork. And, and they're like, this guy's not going anywhere. We yeah. can take our time. Well, be right. See, I get it. Basically, his... So, Unfortunately. Uh, yeah, so his uh, Kuhn's membership, or Kuhn's citizenship, was revoked three weeks before he was released from prison. 
Oh, no kidding. So they were like, uh, okay, he's about to be released. Now we can revoke it. Or, ro- yeah, now we can revoke it. So what happened when he was released? So, three weeks, three weeks after his citizenship had been revoked, Kuhn was released from prison. As soon as he was released, Kuhn was rearrested as a de- as a dangerous enemy agent. They basically let him go, take like five steps, and then they went and tackled him again and brought him back. <laughs> you said I'm at While Kuhn was imprisoned in Texas for being an enemy agent, Nazi Germany was defeated, Hitler killed himself, and World War II ended. Four months after Nazi Germany unconditionally surrendered to the Allied forces on May 8, 1945, or VE Day, Kuhn was deported to West Germany. Kuhn went to work as an industrial chemist at a small factory in Munich. After two years of that, the German authorities decided to try Kuhn under Germany's denazification laws, and he was imprisoned again in July of 1947. Yeah. This time, he was imprisoned at the internment camp at Dachau. Good. Yeah. He deserves that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he was awaiting trial. supporting the... Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I get it. I know what you're saying. (laughs) While he was awaiting trial... Blood boil. While he was awaiting trial, Kuhn escaped from Dachau on February 4th, 1948. Later on, Kuhn said that he escaped because the door was open, so I went through. The guard that was on duty got so fired and very much in trouble. I think the guard was a Nazi sympathizer and let him just let him out. Kuhn was captured in Burkestal? Burnkastel? Whatever. Burnkastel. Burnkastel. On June 15, 1948. Kuhn was convicted as a major Nazi offender and attempting to transplant Nazi ideology into the United States. Kuhn was sentenced to up to 10 years of hard labor. Kuhn died on December 14, 1951, in Munich, Germany, shortly after he had been released. The New York Times ran an obituary for Kuhn that simply read, Fritz Kuhn, once the arrogant, noisy leader of the pro-Hitler German-American Bund, died here more than a year ago, a poor and obscure chemist unheralded. Hmm. 78 years after the Bund rally at Madison Square Garden, a group of white supremacists and alt-right activists gathered at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. The group held torches and marched while chanting, Jews will not replace us, and blood and soil, which is the English translation of the Nazi rallying cry, Blood and Bowden. The group marched until they reached the statue of Thomas Jefferson on the university campus, and a group of 30 University of Virginia students with locked arms ready to counter-protest the marchers. The two groups began to fight each other until police intervened. You remember like, the uh, videos? Yeah. Them carrying their, yeah. yeah, them carrying their tiki torches? Yeah. We're just shaking our head. You're saying tor- torches are a lost art? <laughs> that was the is that what this is becoming? Just, <laughs> Eye roll? Yeah, it's just... <laughs> no, I get... I'm a supremacist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just... But... I mean, it's, but it's more than that. It's just, I mean, I feel like it, we're super fortunate here, for the most part, not to have to deal with that sort of racism, or that 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 show of racism, you know? So it's an eye roll, but it's just so frustrating. This is like, there's still people that, like, believe in this crap. That's the thing. It's like, we like, I like to think that this, you know, night at the garden was so long ago 
But this stuff is still happening. Yeah. Like, there are still people that believe the same exact thing, yeah. that there's enough of them, and they're able to congregate together and march and hold rallies yeah. and spread this ideology. Yeah, of these, like, this, this, this religion that is, that is, like, basically anti, um, I don't know, what am I trying to say? It's just hateful. Well, yeah, but I'm saying their claims are that the Jews, the Jewish, are uh, this scheming, conniving, uh, you know, uh, not necessarily superhuman, but like they're not—they're not like everybody else because they're Jewish, right? You know? They're not Christians, and it's just—it's mind-blowing that you could ever think of that, especially because. I don't know. I think no. I get. I get it. It's hard. It's hard to figure but, out what's so, going. How how they believe that. I guess or. So I mean, I I know how. I mean, it's all through propaganda and and sure <clears throat> these these obscure difficult situations that people get put in, and it's a cop out. It's an it's an easy way for them to say my life sucks because of somebody else. Yeah, not because, because of, of the choices I've made. Yeah, because of this particular group who is just pushing. They're putting down the white man. They're putting down the Aryan. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> didn't mean to derail your... No, you're fine. The next day, there was a planned rally at Emancipation Park in Charlottesville. Large groups of rally goers and counter-protesters gathered. As both groups grew in number, so did tensions. Soon, the groups converged together and fighting broke out. There was punching, chemicals being sprayed, and sticks being swapped. The police felt they were unprepared to break up the fight and hurried into their armor. After around 30 minutes of fighting, 30 minutes of fighting, there's a lot of bad things that can happen in 30 minutes yeah. of fighting. Yeah, I just think, I just, how long is the standard, like, MMA around? I don't even know, but it's, okay. no idea. Are you looking it, are you looking it up? Okay, Google. <laughs> I don't know, I should know this after I ride back in the Uber with the, an amateur. Oh, yeah. MMA fighter. Apparently that was not a question I asked him. I that is essentially six rounds of an MMA fight. Five minute rounds. Because they're each five minutes? Yeah. Yeah. So a one minute rest period. So no rest period for 30 no. minutes. And there's a lot of damage. There's there. like, and just like a street fight, like one minute is a long time to yeah. be in a street fight. Yeah, absolutely. 30 Usually minutes? Usually people pull each other off of them. Yeah. So after around 30 minutes of fighting, the police declared unlawful assembly and dispersed the crowd. Several people had been injured and some were arrested, but nothing was too serious. Rally goers began to make their way towards McIntyre Park, but while they were headed there, they were informed that a state of emergency had been declared and that the rally had been canceled. That was when rally goer James Alex Fields Jr. drove his Dodge Challenger into a crowd of pedestrians. A witness said he saw Fields drive into one group of pedestrians and then reverse into another group. Heather Heyer of Charlottesville was killed and 19 others were injured. Fields later pleaded guilty to 29 federal hate crime charges and was sentenced to two life sentences plus an additional 419 years. Still not enough. Not enough. This, and I guess the point I'm trying to make with that is, again, these things that we hear about the Holocaust and... The Holocaust was truly awful, but if we're not careful, if we're not vigilant, if we're not always watching what we say, what we do, 
things like this, bad things can happen again. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I brought up in the very beginning of this episode, those cadets doing the Sid Heil, I, I assumed that they were just doing that because... In jest. It's just, yeah, they were doing it because they thought it was funny, or it's not a big deal, and it's just an arm gesture, and it's one of those things that's a slippery slope. Yeah, absolutely. You think it's okay to do arm gestures, then you think it's okay to say things, and then all of a sudden you get desensitized to who people really are, and then you're okay with doing, uh, acting violence out against them, because you have spent so much time desensitizing yourself towards this group of people. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. when bad things happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So. That's when... Uh. <laughs> so. Sorry. Not a fun episode, but... I that was really heavy. Really heavy episode, but yeah. I think it's... Did I really need that after Christmas? Well, that's the thing, like, <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody! Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't be... Don't be racist fascist! Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say the other F word. (laughs) (laughs) That too. My sources for this episode are Total Espionage by Kurt Rice, The Pledge of Allegiance, an article on ushistory.org. Is that because you were looking up the... Pledge of Allegiance? Yep. When Nazis Filled Madison Square Garden by Gordon F. Sander. Americans Hold a Nazi Rally in Madison Square Garden, an article on history.com. When Nazis Took Manhattan by Sarah Kate Kramer, A Night at the Garden, short documentary by Marshall Curry, When the Bun Strutted in Yapping by Hugh O'Hare, Fritz Kuhn, former bun chief, ordered back to Germany, an article in the Evening Independent, Swastika Nation by Arnie Bernstein, The Night Thousands of Nazis Packed Madison Square Garden for a Rally and Violence Erupted by Diane Bernard and Recounting a Day of Rage, Hate, Violence, and Death by Joe Prime. And then again, I will link, actually, the I will put the link to the short documentary in the show notes, so that all you have to do is expand the show notes and whatever you're listening to our, this episode in, and then you should be able to just click on the links and watch the documentary. That way it's easy for you guys to find. And I think we have an update this episode. We do. Do you want to read it? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll let you read it. Let me pull it up. What do we call this? Fan corner? Correction corner? <laughs> People telling us we're wrong corner? Alright. Truth serum. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, we had, uh, we had a fan. I don't know if he's a fan. <laughs> I shouldn't label him as such. A listener. <laughs> a listener. Uh, uh, Bizarro, <laughs> uh, email us for some corrections. Uh, I, I re- regrettably must concede the, his first point. I uh, mentioned during the Ignat and Griot that uh, he says, I know for a fact that Jeremy wouldn't be asleep by midnight when he was the age of those cadets. <clears throat> he would have been the one singing loudly, putting the party at risk. <laughs> I have to agree with him. Yep, and I do enjoy a good uh, midnight sing with my liquor. Yes, you do. So, and then the other one was... uh, For the snake oil episode. Rattlesnake King. Uh, He says, The snake oil phony man likely didn't witness, take part in, or know anything about the Hopi snake dance. Which I think I 
said something where I was pretty sure he was a liar, but I wasn't yeah. sure. Yeah. It sounded like a lie, but... So, uh, he said there was only one man, only one white man, Edward Curtis, who was ever known to have seen and taken part in the sacred native dance. But only after years of spending time with the Hopi and demonstrating commitment and respect for their culture and tradition. Curtis's work with Native American cultures is documented in Short Nights of the Shadow Catcher by Timothy Egan. I actually just ordered that book off oh, Amazon. Yeah. Uh, off Amazon. Off Amazon. Uh-huh. So it should be here on Tuesday. Nice. So I'm excited to read all about that. Nice. So thank you, Jens. Yeah, for the we're wrong truth serum corner. <laughs> what do you call it? I don't know. We're still still throwing out names mm-hmm. for that. But we appreciate any corrections you guys send. If you want to send us corrections, please go to americathebazaar.com. If you scroll to the bottom of the page, there is something that says contact us. Just fill out the form with your name your contact information, and anything you want to send us, whether it be corrections about how we got something wrong, you or, can make fun of how I say words because I know I have major mush mouth and I cannot say words from different languages or even English words sometimes. Yep. Or give English us... English is hard. English is hard. Give us... If you have ideas for we a future our, episode, yeah. send those to us. Did we just got one of those today. Yes, yeah. I'm very excited. I'm not going to tell you about it because it's a secret, and I do want to do an episode on that in the future. Thank you, listeners. Yes. So just send us anything, even if it's, hey, I listened. Uh, We appreciate that, too. We like to know that people actually (laughs) listen to us sometimes. New Year's Day, or excuse (laughs) me, New Year's Eve, we were out um, celebrating 2020 and even had one of our friends compliment us, saying, hey... I don't listen to you guys, but that's really cool. <laughs> so, maybe so I guess one you day, guys can send that to us, too. <laughs> so, so maybe one day we can convince him to actually listen. Hopefully. But I think him and I spent a copious amount of time together driving across the Pacific Northwest, so he's probably tired of hearing my voice. <laughs> Anything else? Nope. Please, please rate us, subscribe. So that you never miss an episode, tell all of your friends, go follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And sorry for the really sad, heavy episode, but until next time, stay stay weird, America. America.